Well, I'll ask you to turn to Matthew 16. We're actually going to, you should be right at the end of chapter 15. So I want to back up uh, maybe three verses and get a running start. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, as we have been, uh, Lord, taken into the very presence of God through the praise and worship that we've shared in this morning. Now we invite, I invite your Holy Spirit, Father, to come and be the preacher. Take the word of God and open our hearts and open our minds and do in us everything that you've designed. In Christ, I pray. Amen. At the end of chapter 15, Jesus has just fed uh, the 4,000 men plus women and children with seven loaves and a few small fish. Verse 37 of chapter 15 says, and they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they that did eat were 4,000 men besides women and children. And Jesus sent away the multitude and took a ship and came into the coast of Magdala. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Jesus answered and said unto them, when it's evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky's red. And in the morning it will be foul weather to, uh, today for the sky's red and lowering. What do we say? Red skies in the morning. Sailors take warning, red skies at night, sailor delight, okay? He says, oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he left them and departed. So as, uh, as Jesus, as, a feed, as he feeds uh, the 4,000 ghosts and lands in Magdala, in verse 1 of chapter 16, is truly amazing to me. Because uh, very few times do we see the Sadducees and the Pharisees together peacefully. Matter of fact, I, I think there's about two or three occasions in the New Testament, and they're all, Matthew all records them. You, they are so different. It's like oil and water. It's like night and day. In their, in their religious beliefs and, and, and in how that affects their political affiliations. And uh, if, if you remember uh, how this, in Acts chapter 23 is a really, fun, it's, a, it's a unique story. I love it. In Acts 23, Paul has been arrested. And as he's arrested, he realizes that part of the crowd are, are Pharisees and part of the crowd is Sadducees. And so this is what happens says, when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees, the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm called into question. And when he said this, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there's no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, we don't find any evil in this man. If a spirit or an angel spoken to him, let's don't get involved in this. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him. Paul, realizing that the, that the council was divided, then as he brings up 
the, uh, that, that it's the, at hope of the resurrection. And see, the Pharisees didn't believe in the resurrection. Our Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in, in uh, demons. They didn't believe in the spirits. And we'll talk about that just a little bit later. But they believed in none of these. And Paul said, that's why I'm in question. Well, when the, when the Pharisees heard that, they allowed everything was cool. And there was such a, there was such a, a conflict that literally... Scripture says that the commander was afraid they were going to pull Paul to pieces, grab an arm and a leg, and here we go. And so he rescues Paul. That's how strong the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. The the Pharisees were very legalistic, and they were very committed to earning God's favor by being good and by keeping the law. Matter of fact, they had taken the, the Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments and they had added to that a list of, of their rules. Some I've, I've seen number over 600. How did they would, they would uh, uh, I don't want to say enlightened, but they would they, they embellish. They wanted to be so sure for example, that the do no, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so they had wanted to be so sure that they didn't work on the Sabbath. They even made rules out of how far you could walk on the Sabbath without it being work. And they, they had their whole traditions of these. And those traditions over a period of time had become so associated with God's law that they saw them as part of God's law and, and, and treated them as such, at least in their thinking. The Sadducees only accepted the, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, the, the books of Moses or the books of the law, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they accepted. And anything else was only accepted to the extent that it agreed with Moses. Uh, the Pharisees' traditions was a part of this as well as the rest of the Old Testament. So it created quite a, a wide difference in the, uh, in the thinking of the Pharisees and the thinking of the, of the Sadducees, along with what Paul says was they're thinking about uh, uh, resurrection and, and uh, angels and so forth. Now, politically, the Sadducees were a small, were a smaller group. They were kind of an exclusive group usually very, very wealthy. And they were, uh, it was important for them to keep the status quo. The status quo, they were concerned with, with keeping and maintaining or increasing their wealth here and now. Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. That's one of the, one of the things that reason called them said they were so sad, you see, because they didn't believe in a the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in all this. But they, they were very, very much concerned with don't rock the boat, don't stir up Rome. Rome's back there. We've got a, a, a Roman governor here, but everything's cool. And so they wanted to get along with Rome. The, 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 and they weren't motivated. The Sadducees weren't motivated by any messianic kingdom that was, that was to come. On the other hand, the Pharisees, was all, they were always a threat to Rome. They were always threat Rome because they were always, the Pharisees was, were looking for Israel, for the Messiah to come and to restore Israel to its uh, political and nationalistic status 
that they had enjoyed under David and under Solomon when they were literally to rule the world almost. And so for the Pharisees, they were looking for the Messiah to come and he was going to kick Rome out and he was going to, he was going to reestablish the, uh, uh, the greatness of Israel. So it's so different. They were so different. So as we get to verse 16, I'm wondering, what did it take to bring these two groups together? A common enemy. Exactly, Anise. Who was it that said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Now, I, I heard that. I think I heard it on Blue Bloods, but I, someone at the first service said they thought it was a Churchill. I've got to ask Siri. I don't, I don't know. Some of you may know. But here was the Pharisees who hated Jesus more than the Sadducees. Here was the Sadducees who hated Jesus more than they hated the Pharisees. So we have, this, we have this unique situation now where the Pharisees and the Sadducees both come together and they come together for one purpose and that's to trap Jesus, to trip him up. King James says here, tempting him. And the way they're going to, the way they've decided they're going to do this, just, I, I, I just cackle like a chicken. They, they come to him and they say, we want to see a sign from heaven. I, you know, I, I read this and I'm, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You, you've got to, where have the Sadducees and Pharisees been while we've been going through the study of Matthew? They were, they were there. They were there. Jesus, all that Jesus had done, he had not done in a vacuum. He had not done hid in a corner somewhere. And just in our look of, of Matthew, I just went back and looked. In chapter 8, Jesus heals the leper. He prays for a Roman centurion servant, and he simply speaks the word, and the servant is healed. Jesus doesn't even go there. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, who's, been in, who's sick of a fever, been in bed, and she gets up and ministers to them, probably cooks some soup, beans, and cornbread, and fried taters. I don't know. Good stuff. He casts out demons. And then in chapter 8, Jesus calms the storm of the ocean. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a paralytic man and forgives his sins. He heals a woman in chapter 9 of, of an issue of blood that had been sick for 12 years and she had spent all the money she had on all the specialists she could go to and she was no better off. And Jesus heals her. In chapter 9, Jesus raises the religious leader. Was it Jairus? Jer he, he raises his daughter who had died and Jesus brings her back to life. Where were the scribes and the Pharisees while Jesus was doing all this and it was all going on? In chapter 9, Jesus heals two blind men. Then in chapter 12, Jesus heals the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And then he continues to heal the demon-possessed man that was deaf and dumb to the point that, that the man speaks and hears. In chapter 14, Jesus feeds 5,000 men and women, 5,000 men besides the women and children, with five loaves and two little fish. And then the disciples get in a ship and start crossing the sea, and in the middle of the night, it's a horrible storm, and Jesus comes walking on the water to them. Where were the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees while all this was going on? In chapter 15. Jesus, remember, Jesus heals the Canaanite woman. I love it. He goes, he heals the Canaanite woman's daughter. 
Remember the, the saying, even the, even the little puppies, either the crumbs that falls on the master bed and, and the faith, and he heals her daughter. Then in chapter 15, verse 30, look at this verse of what he says. He says, and great multitudes came to him, having with them those who were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and they throw them down at Jesus' feet, and he heals them all. He heals them. Where were the scribes? Where were the Sadducees? Where were the Pharisees? You want a sign? And all this Jesus has done? And then at the end of chapter 15, Jesus feeds 4,000 men besides the women and children with the seven loaves and a few small fish. No wonder I'm amazed, John, and I love this at the end of the gospel of John. In John chapter 21 Verse 25, he's he just talking about all the things that Jesus has done. And the writer then, John says, and there were also many other things that Jesus did. And if all of them had been written, he said, I imagine that even the world couldn't contain the books that would have all that Jesus done and said. And the Sadducees and the scribes or the Pharisees, Sadducees and Pharisees come and say, hey, give us a sign from heaven. Ah, ah. Now, it's, uh, it wasn't enough. All that he had done wasn't enough for them. And I want to tell you, when you've hardened your heart, once you've hardened your heart to God's word, once you've hardened your heart to God, you can, he can be in the mist. He can be working in the mist, and you don't even realize it. Don't let your hearts grow hardened there's a scripture that encourages us that says we're to encourage one another while it's today, lest our hearts become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Where were the Sadducees? Where were the Pharisees while all this was going on? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, reminding and, and of, of the Jews and the Greeks, and Paul would say this. He says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. You know, it's, they had, people get so smart that they just, they're too smart for God. And so they re- under, realize that, hey, this, all this religion stuff, this God stuff, it's for those who, who, who aren't strong enough mentally. You know, they're a little, little bit unstable, so they need, a, they need a crush to lean on. That's okay for them. But, but we're, we're smarter than that. We've, you know, we've come further than that. Paul says, and it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching. That makes sense to them. But to save them that believe, he goes on and says, for the Jews want a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Remember Paul at Mars Hill, there in in this great center of of knowledge. And it says that there worshiping so many uh, gods, so many different kinds of gods. And they're always there looking to hear some new thing, some new ideal, some new philosophy. And I know, I, I know that there, there are people today and we, we look and, and we want to hear something new. And I want to tell you, God's word is new every day. But it's the old, old story of the love that God had for the world that he would send his son to die on the cross for my sins and your sins. That he would die and be buried in a tomb and three days later the, door, the, the uh, stone would be rolled back and he would be alive. That's the same old story that never gets old to me. It's glorious, it's marvelous. He loved me that much, he loves you that much. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, we want a sign? Give us a sign. 
Now, I wanted you to say, here's your sign, but, but, but he does it this way. He had, he had, taught, he had, had almost the same conversation uh, uh, earlier with the scribes and with the Pharisees. In, in uh, Matthew 12, uh, he says this, then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered and said, Master, we won't get, show us a sign. And he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs. Stay right here. Now, I've, I've always looked at it and I've thought, adulterous, he's talking about their, their sexual immorality, the adultery. But as I look at this more this morning with this, I'm thinking he's saying you're unfaithful. It's the unfaithfulness that goes along, that goes with adultery that causes you to ignore the vows you've committed and, and you're unfaithful. And Jesus is saying you wicked and unfaithful generation. Wow. Seeks after a sign. He says there will no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he goes, he expands here. He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and will condemn it because the men of Nineveh uh, repented at the preaching of Jonah but the men of this generation, Jesus was saying, y'all that are here, there's one greater than Jonah here, and you won't even repent. The, the wisdom of men, I've had, uh, you know, I've, I've had uh, a person one time with multiple doctorates. Now, that wasn't a disease. That was degrees, okay? With, with multiple degrees in theology. And I'm, I'm sure he pitied me. He looked at me and he said, now, Jerry... I know you want to believe that, that, that these, those stories. I know you want to believe that Jonah and the whale was real. But Jerry, you just need to know, and, and because you were taught that from growing up, but there's no way logically that that could have happened. It's there. It's just a little fairy story. You don't need to, get, you don't need to take it so literal. The knowledge of the world, I want to tell you, of all the signs that Jesus performed all the miracles, all the healing, all the, the, the blind eyes opening, the, 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 the lame walking, lepers healed, the dead raised back to life, all that he did, all these things. But there's no greater sign that has ever been given or that, ever, or that the world ever will see than what Jesus is telling them here. He said, you take just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days before the, the whale spewed him out. He said, the, he said, the son of man's going to be put in the earth. He's going to be put in a tomb for three days and then the stone's going to be rolled back and he's alive, he's been alive, but so the world could see. And he said, this is the sign. This is a confirmation that he is, he said that, that, that Jesus Christ is the son of God, the living God. And no greater sign will ever be given than that sign. So Jesus had told them back in chapter 12 Earlier, the Pharisees and the scribes told them this. And now, the Sadducees and the Pharisees come back and want a sign? Want a sign? I want to tell you, if you're following Jesus for the signs, you'll always want more. But when you come into a relationship with him, and you understand how much he loves you and who he is, and what that relationship's like, you can't explain it, but it's, all, it's like that man's bar. He is indescribably delicious and good. 
That's our Savior. Well, Jesus then, he tells these, these uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees, he, he repeats the same words to them that he told them earlier, that he told the Pharisees. And he said, There's no, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to perform for you. If you remember the kids when they, when they just start learning to talk or learning to walk and we're wanting to show, show them off, you know? And we'll say, you know, tell them, say, say dada. And they'll sit there like they're dumb. Or if they do anything, they'll say mama, you know? And they're, they're just like, some kids are not going to be, you know, they're not going to show out. Well, Jesus was not going to be a circus act. And he said, this is the sign. This is the sign, the sign of Jonah. And when he says this in verse four, he leaves. Now, verse five says, and when his disciples were come to the other side, disciples, see, Jesus had come across the Sea of Galilee in a ship, and he had been in this, this uh, interaction with the Sadducees and Pharisees. The disciples hadn't been there. Now, as Jesus, when Jesus leaves, I don't know if he meets the disciples at a certain place they had designated, but whatever, the disciples get there. And the disciples, I don't know if they come around the shore or if they come across the sh- on another boat, but they get there. And they forgot to bring any food. Verse, verse 5 says, they come to the other side. They had forgotten to take bread. Now, I just want to tell you, for men, that can be big. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm just confessing. I get through eating breakfast, and I'm starting thinking about, well, what, what am I going to have dinner for, for lunch, you know? And then eat lunch, I'm thinking, what's Barbie going to fix for supper? Uh, I know, some of you look and say, it looks like it, Pastor. You need to kind of, but we can, you, you know, we, we kind of, that's important. We get those things lined out, and then I'm ready to go. I'm going to have peanut butter sandwich. That's fine. We're going to have, uh, going to have uh, you know, uh, deer stew. Oh, that's great. That's fine. But I just, just got that covered. Well, the disciples come to the other side, and when they meet Jesus, all of a sudden, I'm assuming, because of the way it's written here, that they're saying, man, it's time to eat. Who brought, who brought, who brought the food? Jesus is probably hungry. He's been over here. Who brought the food? And I can imagine him looking and say, John, you're the youngest. Did you bring that? John said, nobody told me to bring anything. I didn't bring anything. We just left. You know, we had seven basketfuls back there after we had that fish and, and them loaves. Yeah, we, we know we've come over here. Who brought the food? Nobody brought the food. So they're, they're talking about it. And Jesus, still remembering, um, is close with, the, with this interaction with the Sadducees and Pharisees. And, and not only that, because of something that's far more important than that. Jesus says to them, when they hear him talking about food, beware, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And verse 7 says, and they thought he was talking to them about food. And they said, man, he's fussing us because we had not brought the food. And then verse 8, Jesus perceived, he, Jesus thought, man, they missed it. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not getting the point. So he says to them, oh, you have little faith. Why are you reasoning among yourselves because you didn't bring the food? Why are you getting bent out of shape? You know, look at verse 9, verse 10. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000? And how many baskets did you take up? And I can hear him saying 12. And he said, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets did you take up? And they said, seven. And Jesus said, is it? said, then why don't you understand that I'm not talking to you about the bread? Guys, if we fed the thousands, you were there. 
If we fed the thousands with, with, with nothing, I'm not going to let you starve to death. We can handle that. I can handle that. Don't you understand that what I'm talking to you? Don't you understand that my words are the bread of life? They're more than just physical bread. He said, don't you understand that I didn't speak concerning bread? And then he says, but I wanted you to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, we talked a while back about leaven. Remember, we talked about, about that, that no offering could be offered to God with, with leaven in it. Uh, and we talked about in Scripture how leaven is oftentimes looked at as, uh, as a type of sin. just takes a little till it affects a whole congregation. It affects a whole group. It affects a whole, the whole batch, just a little bit. It works in secret. There's a whole bunch of stuff we talked about about the leaven. But verse 12, I want, to, I want to go there and then kind of wrap this up and tie it up. Then they understood, verse 12 said. Then they understood how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood. And, and, and I was thinking about, if I titled a lesson this morning, it would be about beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. It's so dangerous. What is that? Well, to me, I think it's this. The Pharisees, again, remember, they were so legalistic. They thought that if they could please God with their radical devotion, not just to God's laws, but also to their hundreds of traditions, they thought if they could be good enough that they could earn God's favor. I believe Jesus is warning about the doctrine of the Pharisees. He's warning about be careful of spiritual pride. Keeping men's rules and being zealous in your service are never, never a substitute for God's mercy and for God's grace. Even the, the goodest I could be ain't even a beginning of, of, of being good enough to earn God's favor. And I just want to tell you, yours ain't either. Okay? Yours is not either. It's grace. It's mercy. It's Jesus Christ taking upon himself my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. You say, he didn't take my sins. If he didn't take your sins, then there's no hope for you. He took your sins. It's just simply be, are you going to be a matter, are you going to be willing to allow him to appropriate that on your behalf when you come to him and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Now, clothe me in your righteousness because I can't do it in my own. Jesus said, be careful of the doctrine of spiritual pride because you can't be good enough, you can't do enough good to, to, to merit God's favor. It's by grace, it's by mercy. Beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. The Sadducees was completely opposite. The Sadducees were concerned about acquiring and hanging on to their wealth and privileges. It was all about the here and now for the Sadducees. 
It was about houses and lands. It was about food and clothing. It was about schools and jobs, cars and bills, toys and hobbies. It was all about now, all around them now. And because they did not believe in the afterlife or anything else, it was about, you better grab all the gusto you can now. How sad. How tragic. How utterly tragic. And yet they said they believed the law. One time, just a little bit on in Matthew, they're going to be talking, the the Sadducees are going to be talking to Jesus in Matthew 22. Listen to what he says to them. I think it's so, we need to know it now. Jesus answers the Sadducees saying to him, you err, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. They were playing religion. Acting like they knew so much. They didn't even understand the scriptures and the power of God to, to set free, to give forgiveness, to give new life was missing. Jesus said, beware, be careful of the doctrine of self-righteousness and of the doctrine of things of this world. When the things of the world, like the Sadducees, become more important to us than God's word and his power, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Wow. Now, at this point, there's kind of a, there's kind of a trend. We're going to look, as we go through Matthew, going into 16, we're going to see that Jesus kind of now turns and begins to talk to his disciples more and more and more <clears throat> about his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection. He's told them, this is a sign, and there's not going to be another. This is the greatest sign. I'm not going to give you another one. <clears throat> it's of the son of Jonah. It's of the resurrection. And he starts, and, he, and we're going to see that he's going to be doing, sharing more and more, and we're going to be looking at that. But this morning, just, uh, I was amazed oftentimes at what brings enemies together. It's something that they, they hate more than each other. And so that's what brought these Sadducees and Pharisees together. And I was amazed that after all he'd done, that they could just amazingly say, we need to see something from you. And he says, you're, I'm, what I'm going to show you, if you're going to believe you're going to believe because of who I am. You're going to believe because of who I am. Let's close. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for the warnings that you love us and don't just say, okay, go out there and do whatever you want to do. And it's okay. But you warned us, be, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees because of spiritual pride, because we can get to that place that we think we're doing so much good or we think we're such an integral part of church and that becomes, that takes the place of a walk with you and a relationship with you. Lord, never let us get to that place. And if there's anyone here this morning that's trying to to find acceptance of you and love of you, your love, by doing those things, oh Lord Jesus, speak to them right now with your Holy Spirit. Let them relax And say, you know what? You've already done that for them. So all they need to do is trust you and love you and submit to you. And you warn us also, Lord, of the doctrine of the the Sadducees. That it's so easy to get so wrapped up in in acquiring and getting and, and, and maintaining things right now. That we, we, we want the status quo all around us. Because we've got to enjoy it now. We can't even enjoy it now because of fear we're going to lose it. 
And you're saying, when we're like that, we don't even understand scripture or your power. Father, it's very possible this morning that there's, there's some here who've bought into that, that, that they're trying to grab all the gusto they can right now. Because the world says you only go around once. The Sadducees say you only go around once, and that's it. And Lord, you tell us in your love and mercy that there's an eternity there that you've prepared us for. And we prepare for eternity now. Not in the afterlife, but now. Because the way we die is the way we will go into eternity. Either trusting you as our Lord and Savior, or trusting in our own goodness, or some other thing, which all leads to destruction. Now, Lord, you love us so much. Maybe there are those here this morning that just need to stop and say, Jesus, I I need you. Come into my heart. This love is amazing to me. I've tried to earn it. Or maybe you'll say, I've not even been focusing on that, and I need to. In either way, I just need to ask you to come into my life. Save me. Make me your child. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.